Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. Okay, let's see. It's Sunday, the 23rd of September, 2012. And this makes, well, okay, we're going to do Solder Smoke 146. Uh, I'd like to start out by saying that our sponsor for this program is SMT Solutions, a company run by our friend Chris, KD4PBJ. If you have problems with those pesky PC boards, if you have problems especially with surface mount components, check out Chris's company. He can help you out. The link is up there on the top of the Blogspot page, soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Check it out. All right, um, Solder Smoke 146, long time since the last one. Sorry about that, guys. Lots of excuses, summertime, vacation, all that. We took a trip. I thought I'd give you a little bit of travel log here. We took a trip to the Dominican Republic last month. I uh, went to, started out up on the north coast, Puerto Plata. That's the city where my wife was born. Visited family there, hung out at the beach. Then we headed east to the peninsula of Samana, to the Samana Peninsula, a beautiful place. If you take a look at the map of the Dominican Republic, you'll see this uh, very prominent peninsula sticking out up there in the northeast. I had never been there. Um, lived in the DR four years, never made it out to Samana, but um, we went out there. We got a nice house close to the beach, and I'm telling you, it was spectacular, really, really amazing. We took a boat ride across the Bay of Samana, to the national park that they have there on the other side of the bay, visited caves and mangroves, and uh, it was just just spectacular. Then uh, took a ride down to Santo Domingo, the capital on the south coast. Spent a couple days there visiting uh, Elisa's family, and then then things started getting really exciting. At this point, uh, tropical storm Isaac was making its way west across the uh, the Caribbean. And uh, I was out of <clears throat> internet range for a number of days. And then when I finally got connections again, I took a look and realized that uh, the storm was heading towards us and was due over Santo Domingo uh, at exactly the, the hour that our flight was scheduled to depart from Santo Domingo. <laughs> Not a good combination. So uh, I'm kind of concerned there for a while because uh, if you're... If you're in one, if you're in the Caribbean and uh, and a real bad hurricane hits, you could be there for a lot longer than you expect. The uh, the roads get messed up, the airport gets messed up, and well, you could be there for a week or two uh, that you didn't plan for. And we needed to get home. The kids needed to get back to school, so I uh, did some quick uh, rescheduling of the flight, and we spent uh, a nervous day there, kind of watching the. Uh, this, the progress of the storm. As it turned out, it uh, it didn't really make a direct hit on Santo Domingo. It went uh, further south, and because we had scheduled the flight for later in the day, the storm was mostly beyond us, mostly out over Haiti by the time we got on the plane. So we we got out okay and uh, flew up to Miami and then back to uh, back to Virginia. And here we are right now. And uh, good to be back. Then then we got hit by some. Some bad weather here. There was some really bad storm fronts that came through, and um, things were uh, were pretty difficult here. Also, um, a bad storm front came through and 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 really stirred up some. We had some some tornadoes touching down in uh, 
in Fairfax County in the Washington, D.C. area. None really hit us, but we had some really high winds, knocked down some trees, and took out the power here, which provided me an opportunity to test out my uh, my power inverter circuitry. Um, you'll recall, after our last blackout, uh, I went out and instead of buying a generator, I bought an inverter. And my idea was to run the inverter off the car's electrical system and uh, power portions of the house that way. Some of the neighbors were laughing at me, and they said this was never going to work. Elisa raised an eyebrow to the whole project and wondered if I would destroy the car. I assured her that I would not, probably, probably would not destroy the car. So anyway, I bought a uh, about a 1.2 kilowatt, um, 12 volt to uh, 110 inverter. And when the power went out, I was out there in the driveway hooking up the jumper cables to the uh, to the battery, got the engine running, and sure enough, that thing worked. It really worked very well. I was able to keep the lights on in the uh, in the living room. Kids were able to listen to some music. We could have run the TV. I don't think we, we, we didn't even try, but we could have run the TV. But, you know, you're not going to be able to run the central air conditioning or the, uh, or the refrigerator or anything like that, but it's enough to keep you, to keep a semblance of civilization in the household. So, uh that was that was pretty good. The uh, the storm knocked down my uh, 75 meter dipole, at least one leg of it. So I had to go out there and, and fix that and get that going. And um, anyway, life is pretty much back to normal. Kids are back at school. Billy started high school. Maria started middle school. They're very happy. We've done the back to school night routine, so we're all fully up to speed now. I'm back to work and. Uh, Life is getting back to normal. Although Billy has to go out at, uh, he has to he has to leave the house at six thirty in the morning. It's it's pretty early, and this this is cutting down on my uh, my shack time early in the morning. I'll have to get up even earlier. So uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to make some adjustments here as we go along. But on the air a lot. Been I've been I'm happy to report that I've been actually transmitting RF energy into the uh, into the ether. Been on 80 meter and 40 meter AM. Have had a number of real nice uh, contacts there. And soon after we got back from the Dominican Republic, I was pleased to get on 17 meters. And one of the first stations I heard was down there on the uh, south coast of the island of Hispaniola. So I, I I talked to him and told him I had just flown back from the DR. That was that was great fun. And I had a similar contact with another island, and this one kind of stirred feelings of nostalgia. I. Um, was on 17 meters on the 7th of September, and I heard a weak station, obviously a DX station, a DX station calling calling CQ, and then I realized he was from Charlie Uniform Two Land. He was from the Azores, and he was specifically from the Charlie Uniform Two indicates Sao Miguel Island, the island that I lived on for three years from 2000 2003. So I gave him a call, and even with my uh, little uh, DX, a uh, little QRP rig, I was able to make the DX contact. And, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he remembered me. I vaguely remembered him. We didn't have a lot of contact, but I think he remembered me because we had a, a friend in common, Macias, uh, CU2BJ. Um, and the guy I was talking to was CU2AF, but CU2BJ was a close friend of mine. He was a real old timer there. He was a, former uh, ship's uh, or, or um, 
Now, you're kind of a ship-to-shore radio operator for Marconi out there in the Azores. He was a real CW expert and an old-time radio guy. Um, Macias and I used to talk on 2-meter FM in Ponta Delgada just about every evening, and he was always a very nice contact just before dinner. I'd go down to the shack, we'd get on 2-meter FM, he'd uh, ask about the kids. The, uh, the, the Portuguese have kind of a very kind of a sweet kind of set of kind of words that they use, you know, in, in, uh, for family members. In, uh, in English, we call the kids the harmonics, which I think is kind of, kind of fun. But they had a, uh, Macias used to call them the cristalinos, the cristalinos, the little crystals. <laughs> he always used to ask me about the cristalinos. And, uh, Macias and I also got into some satellite adventures using the, uh, International Space Station and, uh, and, uh, PCSAT. I wrote about it in, uh, Solder Smoke, the book. But, uh, it was kind of, it was, well, it was really sad because, uh, in that QSO, uh, CU2AF let me know that, uh, that, uh, that Macias had passed away. And so he's a silent key now, but lots of fond memories of, from the Azores. And I thought it was particularly fitting that, uh, the, you know, I realized I was talking to that island with the transmitter that I had built while on the island. And I remember um, talking to Macias about it, and, uh, you know, it was great great fun building it out there. So it was uh, poignant to be um, talking with the rig back to the island on which it was built and hearing that uh, my old friend uh, Macias... CU2BJ had um, had passed away. But anyway, um, you know, uh, an important contact for me. Uh, let's see what's going on on the bench. Well, before I went to the, to the Dominican Republic, I, I thought for a while that I was going to bring a, a rig with me. Although when I mentioned this, Billy kind of raised an eyebrow, and I realized it probably might that it was it wasn't necessarily a great idea to bring a rig on a trip like this because the idea wanted to spend more time with the family and you know not with the uh, with the electronics but I kind of half-heartedly went about trying to fix up the uh, the 20 meter double sideband rig that I had built also in the Azores um, and uh, I, I had used it on and off in Rome but I had real problems with um, power amplifier stability you know as I always do I had sort of kind of halfway got it stabilized in Rome, but I was never really quite satisfied with it, so I figured I'd open it up this time and um, do it. Do what needed to be done to get the thing really and truly stabilized. Well, it turned out to be more of a pain in the neck than I anticipated, probably because, well, it's almost certainly because of the way I had built the power amplifier in this rig, and it it, it sort of represented my my old failed, discredited, disreputable, build first, deny, design later, I say again, build first, design later, um, construction approach. You know, and there were, I looked at it, and there were circuits from amplifiers from QST magazine and CQ magazine and 73 magazine all sort of slapped together in there, and it was, it was a real mess. I kind of poked away at it for a while, and it would never really get stable. It would be stable with a certain kind of load, but then if I put it on the antenna, it wouldn't be stable. Then it would be stable if I 
ran it through a little trans match. But if I if I just breathed wrong or or looked <laughs> looked at the the uh, the, the trans match in the wrong way, it would go unstable and start oscillating, and it was a a real pain in the neck. So I decided that the only thing to do with this thing is to put it off to the side for a while and later on, perhaps in the winter here, build a little J-Bot amplifier. And anyway, this thing is going to be J-Botted. Uh, another just a bunch of transistors amplifier. If you're interested in the J-Bot, uh, take a look at uh, Farhan's site or just, just Google Farhan J-Bot and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a very stable little 5 or 6 watt uh, linear amplifier that uh, that Farhan designed, and uh, I like it a lot. I've got it in a number of rigs, and uh, I've decided that discretion is the better part of valor. No use trying to fix something that wasn't really built or designed properly in the first place. I'll go with a proper amp that was designed well by our, our good friend Farhan, and uh, the 20 meter DSB rig with ceramic um, resonators in the VXO will be soon J-botted and stable. Um, let's see what else. Oh, on the workbench, Billy and I have been building a rocket. Um, I got a rocket for for Christmas. Elisa got me one of these. It's not an SD's rockets, but it's very similar. And it's, a, let me see. It's a, it's a Quest rocket. Quest. And it's big, and it uses a D, a D-size rocket engine. Um, we found a, a hobby shop in Alexandria, Virginia, that would sell us the rocket motors. And it was very cool because the guy cautioned us. He said, now, when it comes time to launch this thing, make sure you, you don't launch it inside the Washington Beltway. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we'll do. We'll find a, a launch pad outside the Beltway. But uh, it, 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 it provided a kind of a sense of, of foreboding there, you know, that this thing is going to be so powerful and awesome. Billy's plan is to, is to get a little... Um, uh, one of these little cheapo uh, keychain video cameras that are causing so much trouble lately, and uh, kind of somehow strap it to the side of the rocket or, or put it into the nose cone so we can get some video from the flight of this thing. We've got it all built. I think Billy's going to paint it um, fluorescent green today, and uh, we may be soon launching this thing. I'll try to get some video of the launch, and hopefully we'll get some video from the rocket, so I may be posting that up on... Uh, on the uh, the blog page uh, soon. We've had some fun building it. A lot of reading over the summer, and I thought I'd have a, a reading section in this uh, Sutter Smoke podcast. I, I've, I've put some of these things up on the blog. If you um, want to find them, you can check out there, and I've got links to the Amazon pages. Um, took with me to the beach a book called Martian Summer by Andrew Kessler. It says on the cover, Robot Arms, Cowboy Spacemen, and My 90 Days with the Phoenix Mars Mission. Um, Kessler hits the astronomy jackpot from Discover Magazine. I really like this book. It's uh, Kessler's a young guy who managed to get the scientists and engineers on the Mars-Phoenix mission, which was run out of the University of Arizona, to allow him to spend... The summer, spend the um, most of the the 90-day mission of the Mars Phoenix Explorer, Mars Phoenix mission, with them, observing, watching, uh, talking to them. They were, I think, 
apprehensive about allowing a non-scientist, a non-engineer in there. And he was very much an outsider in, in the sense that he is not a professional scientist or engineer. But he really got into it, and he obviously um, won their confidence, and I guess a, a bit of respect, and uh, provides a really, I, I think, very entertaining description of the mission, the people, the uh, the problems that come with trying to live for three months on Mars time. That was pretty funny, uh, because they tried to run the mission um, with everybody on Earth living on Mars time, and the Martian day, as you know, is 40 minutes longer than Earth day. So after a week or so, your 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 daily schedule is shifting quite a bit, and people are going into like a permanent jet lag with no relief and it it really messes them up and adds to the zaniness and uh and chaos that uh <laughs> i think always goes with a, a mission to mars but anyway i like the book and i think it'll be especially appealing to uh to those of us who are not uh, professional scientists and engineers because it describes quite a bit of the uh the kind of interaction between the two worlds, the worlds of the liberal arts majors and the uh, the scientists and engineers. I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I also took with me, but I didn't get to read it there, um, the uh, Einstein biography from by Walter Isaacson. Isaacson's the guy who wrote the the bio on Steve Jobs, and I I, I really liked Isaacson's writing, and I liked his. His, his way of doing a biography. I, unfortunately, I didn't really like Steve Jobs. <laughs> and the more I read Isaacson's book, the less I liked Steve Jobs, so I ended up putting it aside. So I figured next time the thing to do is um, write is to read one of Isaacson's biographies and about somebody that I'm probably going to like. And I, I was correct in assuming that Einstein would be in that category because as I read through Isaacson's book, the more you read about Einstein, the more you like him. <laughs> it just seems like a a really great person and a lot of fun, a sense of humor, uh, real human warmth. And uh, I don't know, I, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm enjoying the biography. I'm not quite through it yet, but you find all kinds of great, you know, Einstein stories and quotes. And there was a quote here I wanted to share with you guys. Let me see if I can get it up on the screen here. I had it as the book is upstairs. And it says, uh, he was writing to an old friend and he was talking about how, working on science and uh, and working on physics and trying to understand the universe uh, keeps you young. And I guess this is applicable to, to ham radio, too. Uh, Einstein wrote to a friend, he said, People like you and me never grow old. We never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery into which we were born. Yeah, fine business there, Einstein. <laughs> Exactly right. I remember um, uh, my old friend uh, Giorgio in in Rome. Um, he was, uh, you know, he'd been a ham for a real long time. And uh, one day he asked me to go over and help him with the uh, with his antenna. He had a humongous tower up on the roof, <laughs> and so I went over to the house, and up we up there we were, and we we're struggling. It was really kind of scary. We're struggling to get this big chunk of tower, I think, with a with a yagi on it, um, in the proper position. And he's there struggling, and I'm struggling. 
and uh, well, I mean, Giorgio had no problem. He was, you know, he was used to this. He just needed an extra hand, and uh, we got it up there. And when when it was all kind of squared away, he looked at me and he said, "Do you know how old I am?" And I said, "No, how old are you?" He says, "I'm 85." <laughs> I had no idea. I thought he was a lot younger. And he he told me that his theory was that it was uh, ham radio that kept him in good shape and, uh, and with a positive outlook. He told me every day, he says, every day I wake up anxious to get into the shack, in- anxious to get into the rig, anxious to work on the antennas. So uh, I think Einstein's uh, quote is applicable to us. Let's see. I think it's, um, I want to take a pause here. Hold on. Okay, another thing we've been reading, this is always a pleasure, is uh, Hot Iron, the Journal of the Constructors Club. The Autumn 2012 edition, issue 77, sent out to us from the West Country in England from uh, Walford Electronics, from Tim Walford. All right. Um, And this is always a great one. I mean, I, I just, you know, you guys, I've been singing the praises on this newsletter for a long time, and I'm feel entirely justified in doing it. There's a nice cover photo of uh, um, G3KLT using one of the um, Walford Electronics kit rigs, the plank. All right, and it says here, um, let's see, but the, the thing that really caught my eye in, in this edition edition of, the, of Hot Iron is the 10-part receiver challenge which was conducted at uh, the QRP in the Country event for 2012. And uh, the winner, um, I was really delighted to see, is somebody I know. And that's our friend Ian, G3ROO, who, um, as you know, is from Dover over there in, um, I guess you'd call it the East Country. (laughs) And uh, I visited uh, Ian and... Tony and the guys from the Dover Construction Club, and uh, anyway, there's a picture of, uh, several pictures of, of Ian at the QRP in the Country event, and I'll read you a little bit about his winning entry. It says here, and the winner is Ian, G3ROO, Roo of Kangaroo, uh, there you go, with his DCC 10 to 40 volt valve regen powered by a rack of 9 volt batteries. This little radio was an absolute dream to use with smooth regen and really superb audio. Ian won a bottle of a local Somerset alcoholic beverage. The circuit of Ian's receiver is shown below. I certainly enjoyed judging the entries and the guys that put in entries had certainly taken the challenge very seriously. I was even offered a bacon sandwich on arrival by one of the entrants who shall remain nameless but it wasn't Ian. Here's to next year's challenge. 7-3 from Steve, G0FUW. Ian's circuit is a classic. I regret I don't have a, a note of the valve type, but I'm sure he'll be able to. He'll be happy to explain it for anybody who wishes to contact me through, uh, through G3PCJ. And I'm looking at the circuit there, and you guys know how I feel about regens. And I'm... Uh, um, I must say that uh, this is the kind of circuit that could uh, lead to my uh, conversion, to my regeneration, I should say, 
on the subject of, of regens. It looks really simple. It's got uh, one tube, some high Z headphones, a 100K regen control. Looks like on the screen, it's got the, a Toco 3334 uh, transformer for the coil, a couple of variable caps, 10 parts, 1.5 volt battery to run the filament, and then 10 little square transistor batteries for the for the for the B plus there on the plate of the tube. I don't know, man. I'm I'm feeling again. I'm feeling pulled in by the uh, by the the lure of the uh, the regen, the siren call of the regenerative receiver. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. I always always like hot iron. And Tim, thanks for sending that one along. Great, great fun. Good stuff. Let's see. Oh, yeah. I, gotta, I want to read you something. You know, I try to keep an Italian connection here. And um, this is um, from um, Primo Levi. Primo Levi is one of my favorite Italian writers, modern Italian writers. He's a, he's a really great writer. I read all of everything I've read by him is in English translation, and you can tell he's a really great writer because even in translation, it's obviously great writing. Sometimes you lose stuff, lose something in trans translation, but not with Primo Levi's stuff. And I found this book in a used bookstore. It's called Other People's Trades by Primo Levi. Um, Primo Levi is um, an Italian. He's from the northern part of Italy, and and during World War II, as a, as a young man, he joined the partisans to fight against uh, the Nazis, and he was captured. And he was, at the end of the war, he was sent to the, uh, to the death camps, and he barely, barely survived. And he's written very, uh, very powerfully about uh, his experience there. But he's also he also spent a lot of time writing about about chemistry. His profession was uh, a chemist. But then when he left chemistry, he became a writer and wrote about a lot of different topics, not just uh, his experiences in the war, but um, a lot about chemistry. He wrote a great book called The Periodic Table, which sort of uses the periodic table of the elements to talk about life and uh, his philosophy and things like that. This book, as the title indicates, is about other people's trades, and he uh, he was writing a column for an Italian newspaper, and uh, um, let's see, yeah, he was writing for the Turin paper, La Stampa, and so this is a collection, a translation, a collection of translations of the articles, and one thing caught my eye that reminded me a little bit of the work uh, <coughs> of um, AA1TJ, Mike Rainey. Uh, and the QRP efforts of, of all of us here. I'll just read you this part. It's from um, an article that he wrote called The Book of Strange Data. It says here, quoting Primo Levi, The sum of energy expended by an average man speaking three hours a day all his life would be barely sufficient to heat a cup of tea, and the energy that could be extracted from a pea falling from a height of three centimeters, if wholly converted into luminous energy, would be sufficient to stimulate the optical nerves of all the human beings who have existed until now. 
Our brain is the most complex object existing in the universe, but no more energy is required for it to function than for a 100-watt bulb. To this statement, we can add that just as for the bulb, the greater part of this energy is dissipated in heat. The amount actually utilized for mental operations is minimal, and so far as I know, up until now, has not been measured. There you go. So there's a, there's a QRP quote from Primo Levy, and three cheers for Primo for leaving us some, some really great life, great writing from a, from a, from a very difficult life. Uh, I really enjoy his stuff. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, now, moving away from literature and moving to <laughs> to more kind of audio pursuits, I've been I've been listening to um, chat with the designers. The other the, the podcast coming out of the New Jersey um, uh, QRP Club by by George <clears throat> and Joe Everhart. There, uh, really enjoying their their podcasts. I take them with me to work on the Washington Metro. Great stuff. And I always get I get a chuckle out of uh, out of many of the things they say, and one of the things that really got me laughing the other day, well, you know, I was I was actually kind of intrigued by it. They were talking about how how rare and expensive silver mica uh, capacitors have become, and very expensive, very hard to get. And as it, I, I really hadn't given this much thought, and I realized that in my junk box back here uh, in the shack, I have a a fairly large box of uh, silver mica capacitors so I'm thinking about adding this to the um, to the uh, solder smoke uh, retirement index fund you know right now we've we're, 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 we're heavily invested in Drake 2b's and in copies of solid state design for the radio amateur uh, I think if we add um, silva mica capacitors to the mix it would give us a nice kind of commodity element there they're always telling you to diversify so you know, we've got the hardware, we've got the literature. Now the commodity element will be uh, silver mica, uh, <laughs> and we'll all hit it rich and retire early. So uh, thanks to guys, the guys from Chat with the Designers, for uh, for that for that uh, very useful info. Okay, guys, now it's time for solder smoke mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Indeed, we get a lot of good stuff in the mail. A lot of it I put up already on the blog, so forgive me if you guys have seen this, but it gives me a chance to, to comment on it here. Uh, one of the most interesting uh, emails we received, we just got this week, and I, I saw it and I immediately knew that this was something that had to go up on the, the Solder Smoke blog. It was from Clint, K-A-7-O-E-I, Kilo Alpha 7 Oscar, Echo India out there in the um, Salt Lake City, Utah area. Uh, Clint and his uh, buddies have been working on light wave communication. You know, uh, this reminds me a while back, um, well, years ago, Mike uh, and I were working on on using lasers for communication. Mike was way ahead of it, me, and had used lasers. I think at the University of Alaska to transmit data from one building to another, just modulating a laser beam. And I was intrigued by this and hooked up a microphone to a little laser and used a uh, solar panel as a detector, was able to transmit audio over the laser beam. And um, uh, I know a lot of guys have been experimenting with kind of visible light communications. These guys out in Salt Lake City did it 
in a big way. They were using they're using fairly high powered red LEDs. I think up to about 30 watts, but they've been going really long distances, mountaintop to mountaintop, uh, going out about 95 miles, and really interesting stuff. And uh, and it basically operating at the 470 hertz, 478 terahertz band up there in the red light zone. Um, Clint sent me a real nice report with a great picture of them up on the mountaintop with, I guess it's Salt Lake City in the background, and you see this kind of wide beam of red light just stretching out into the darkness over Salt Lake City. It's obviously not a laser, but it's a it's a focused beam of red light from a very powerful array of LEDs, and it's enough to uh, make it 95 miles to the next uh, mountaintop where it was detected and demodulation was taken off it. I think they did some of it with Morse, some of it with uh, kind of QRSS techniques, but, and this is the part that really made me happy, um, they needed a source of audio to put on the... Um, the red light beam to transmit some audio. And apparently um, Clint had a solder smoke podcast with him. And so he hooked the audio from the solder smoke podcast into the modulator attached to the array of red LEDs. And uh, guys, the solder smoke podcast, in addition to being available on the internet, on community radio stations, on, on kind of, local cable networks, in addition to being available on the two-meter FM, uh, on the two-meter band and on FM in, in Tasmania, was was rocking Salt Lake City at 478 terahertz. <laughs> the picture was just so cool, and I, I'm, I'm glad to see that this got picked up by Hackaday, one of my favorite websites, and that I think what really got him was that cool picture of the beam of red light, you know, shooting out over Salt Lake City. So three cheers for Clint and the uh, and the guys there in the uh, in the in the red light district of Salt Lake City. There's a contradiction, huh? Well, anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, got uh, I got I've got uh, a, a, a several really good emails from Herb, WA3EIB. One, he sent to me a, uh, a picture of an HT37 that he recently acquired and uh, the story of how he lost through some um, hard times and the need to sell the HT37 that he had as a kid. And uh, as a big HT37 fan, a Halicrafters HT37 fan, I really sympathized and I uh, put a picture of the new HT37 that uh, that Herb has acquired up on the blog, and also we got um, around this on pretty much on the same day a nice kind of boat anchor email from uh, Mike WA6ARA on some good fortune in the uh, in the boat anchors area that he had now picking up uh, a Johnson Viking Ranger. What a cool looking rig that is, and some other. Um, boat anchor stuff very uh, serendipitously 
and uh, congratulations to you. But uh, anyway, uh, back to Herb. The, his HT37 was there, and I put a picture up on it. Um, this morning, I, I woke to uh, an, a bunch of pictures that Herb sent to me from his um, uh, boyhood days in the mid-60s, showing his early station, his original HT37, his national receiver, and a really nice bit of poetry that he sent along with it. You know, I know... Uh, you know, uh, Mike AA1TJ is, is the official poet laureate of QRP, but uh, I think Herb's in the running for the uh, poet laureate of, uh, of boat anchors. So that's my nomination. We'll have to consult with the, uh, the committee, but uh, I think you got a shot at it, Herb, and thanks for sending that along. You guys should check out the pictures. I have them up on the blog. I, I think uh, you really like that. Um, speaking of pictures, uh, KD4EBM, uh, sent me an old ad from Hammerland. I think it was Hammerland. No, Halicrafters. Halicrafters is the guilty party. Uh, this must have come out of the late 1950s. Yeah, late 1950s. And they were trying to sell Halicrafters radios. And they have this picture of what appears to be uh, some sort of um, native ceremony in some exotic DX location. And uh, it says along the bottom of the picture, meet your new neighbors. And, um, you know, the guys at Halley obviously realized that, um, the guys at Hallicrafters obviously realized that uh, a good portion of their, um, their market probably consisted of uh, lonely uh, 15-year-old radio geeks. <laughs> Because one of the people in the picture was a um, very attractive young lady um, dancing alongside the fireplace there. And, uh, uh, well, go, go to the picture on the blog, guys, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I, uh, I dubbed it um, Radio Erotica or Radio Erotic Advertising from Halicrafters in the 1950s. And I, I don't know, did the, could this ad have possibly appeared in in stodgy old QST magazine? I don't know. I, it, it may have slipped by the censors, guys, but uh, it certainly would have caught my attention, and, and I imagine it, it, uh, it brought quite a few people, if not into the uh, helicrafters market, certainly into the world of shortwave listening. So um, <laughs> three cheers for, uh, for helicrafters and... Uh, and KD4EBM, we don't hold you responsible in any way for this ad, and we don't mean to uh, to challenge your serious radio guy credentials. We know that you were passing it on to us just in the spirit of um, of maintaining an important part of radio history, and we 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 thank you for that. Um, that's about it, guys. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. Sorry for the long delay. I'll try to do some more uh, solder smokes as we uh, go ahead. I'll try to make them a bit more technical now that I have some more time to actually melt solder and get to the bench. But um, we hope the the fall is is good to all of you in the northern hemisphere, and the spring to those of you who are in the south. And uh, we'll catch you again real soon on the next edition of the Solder Smoke Podcast. Thanks a lot. Seven three from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. 
our blog, the Sutter Smoke Daily News, is at suttersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to suttersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Sutter Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Sutter Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, Consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!